Section 33 of the Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume 12. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones. The Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume 12, Section 33, Humbugs and Humbuggery, Part 1. The Great American Product. Satan is supposed to have been the original humbug, but he's a back number now, must feel dreadfully antiquated and useless among so many modern improvements. That the American people love to be humbugged long since passed into proverb. Humbuggery may be called our national vice, our besetting sin. Like liberty, it appears to be in the very air we breathe, and we take to it as naturally as we go into politics. Our entire social system has become saturated with it. It is the mainspring of many acts we loudly praise, the lodestar of men we apotheosize, is oft-times the warp and woof even of the mantle of charity, which, like a well-filled purse, or a tariff compromise, covers a multitude of sins. There are various kinds and classes of humbugs, but reduced to the last analysis, stripped of the sugar-coating by which they impose on the public, they are one and all simply professors of falsehood. I am sometimes inclined to the view that humbuggery is a disease, and that some doctor will yet discover a gold cure for it will demonstrate that the bad habit is due to microbes that get into a man's mind and make trouble trying to turn around or to bacilli that bore holes in his moral character and let his honesty leak out for the medical fraternity has gravely informed us that kleptomania sneak thievery by eminently respectable people and dipsomia sottishness by the social salt of the earth are simply diseases that should be treated with pills and powders instead of with penitentiaries and whipping posts now if a man will steal a sawmill and go back after the sight simply because his pericardium is out of plumb or his liver has gone into politics will nurse a juicy old jag until it develops into a combined museum and menagerie because his circulation has slipped an eccentric or his stomach has got out of its natural orbit, I submit, in all seriousness, that he might be physically incapacitated for telling the truth by an insidious attack on his veracity by the dreadful falsehood fungi, and that the best way to restore his moral equilibrium, to remove him from the category of chronic humbugs, would be to fumigate him. The Lord once attempted to check the humbug habit by striking liars dead, but soon saw that such a plan would prove more fatal than a second flood, that there wouldn't be even a Noah's Ark picnic of us left, and reluctantly relinquished it. Science has not yet succeeded in mastering the disease, but just give it time and it will save the world yet. We'll find a medical name for every human frailty will be able to tell by looking at a man's tongue whether he's coming down with the mugwum malaria 
or the office holding hysteria and do something for him before it's everlastingly too late the very best people have a touch of the complaint the trail of the serpent is over us all even our young ladies are said to be to a certain extent humbugs i have been told that many of them wear patent complexions bought in bangs and pad out scrawny forms until they appear voluptuous junos and thereby deceive ensnare bedazzle and beguile the unsuspecting sons of men i have been told that many of them who are soft-voiced angels before marriage can give a rusty buzz-saw cards and spades and beat it blind after they succeeded in landing the confiding sucker but perhaps such tales are only the bitter complainings of miserable benedicts who have been soundly beaten at their own game of humbuggery marriage is perhaps the only game of chance ever invented at which it is possible for both players to lose too often after much sugar-coated deception and many premeditated misdeals on both sides one draws a blank and the other a booby after patient angling in the matrimonial pool one lands a stingaree and the other a bullhead one expects to capture a demigod who hits the earth only in high places the other to wed a wingless angel who will make his edenic bower one long-drawn sigh of ecstatic bliss the result is that one is tied up to a slattern who slouches around the house with her hair on tins in a dirty collar and with a dime novel a temper like aquafortis and a voice like a catfight the other a hoodlum who comes home from the lodge at two a m and whoops in the house for her to come down and help him hunt for the keyhole and is then snailed in by a policeman before she can frame a curtain lecture or find a rolling pin false pride is the father of humbuggery the parent of fraud we are humbugs because we desire that our fellows think us better braver brighter and perhaps richer than we really are we practice humbuggery to attain social position to which we are entitled by neither birth nor brains to acquire wealth for which we render no equivalent to procure power we cannot wisely employ while proclaiming love of democracy we purchase peers for our daughters while boasting liberty of speech we assail like demons those who presume to dissent from our opinions in either religion or politics history is full of humbugs and liberty itself oft-times but a gilded lie no man is really free who is dependent upon the goodwill of others for employment there can be no true liberty where prejudice usurps the throne of reason men are slaves instead of sovereign when they suffer themselves to be held in iron thrall by a political dogma or religious creed blindly accepting the ipsy dixy of things instead of exercising to the utmost the intelligence which god has given them i have said that charity itself is oft-times a humbug it is so when it becomes the handmaid of ostentation instead of the true almoner of the heart or when men give to the poor only because it is lending to the lord and then expect compound interest 
that philanthropist is a fraud who after piling up a colossal fortune at the expense of common people leaves it to found an educational or eleemosynary institute when death calls him across the dark river knowing that charon's boat is purely a passenger packet that carries no freight however precious he drops his dollars with a sigh but determined to reap some benefit from his boodle his itching hand can no longer hold he decrees that it is to be used to found some charitable fake to prevent himself being forgotten some pitiful institute where a few of the wretched victims of his rapacious greed may get a plate of starvation soup or a prayer-book and bless their benefactor's name the very monument erected over bones of the sanctimonious old skinflint is a fraud flaunt a string of colossal falsehoods in the face of the world piously points to heaven perhaps to indicate that satan refused to receive him and sent him back to st peter with a request that he make other arrangements many of the martyrs whose memory we revere of the saints we apotheosize of the heroes we enshrine in history are one-third fraud and two-thirds fake the man who can grow in grace while his pet corns in chancery or lose an election without spilling his moral character who can wait an hour for his dinner without walking all over the nerves of his wife or crawl out of bed in the middle of his first nap and rustle till the cold gray dawn with a brace of colicky kids without broadly insinuating that he was a copper-riveted nickel-plated automatic double-cylinder idiot to ever get married is a greater hero than he that taketh the city the place to take the true measure of a man is not the market-place or the amen corner not the forum or the field but at his fireside there he lays aside his mask and you may learn whether he's imp or angel king or cur hero or humbug i care not what the world says of him whether it crown him with bays or pelt him with bad eggs i care never a copper what his reputation or religion may be if his babes dread his homecoming and his better half swallows her heart every time she has to ask him for a five-dollar bill he's a fraud of the first water even though he prays night and morn till he's black in the face and howls hallelujah till he shakes the eternal hills but if his children rush to the front gate to meet him and love's own sunshine illumes the face of his wife when she hears his footfall you can take it for granted that he's true gold for his home's a heaven and the humbug never gets that near to the great white throne of god he may be a rank atheist and a red flag anarchist a mormon or a mugwump he may buy votes in blocks of five and bet on the election he may deal em from the bottom of the deck and drink beer till he can't tell a silver dollar from a circular saw and still be an infinitely better man than the cowardly little humbug who's all suavity and society but who makes his home a hell 
who vents upon the hapless heads of wife and children the ill-nature he would like to inflict on his fellow-man but dares not i can forgive much in that fellow-mortal who would rather make men swear than women weep who would rather have the hate of the whole he-world than the contempt of his wife who would rather call anger to the eyes of a king than fear to the face of a child the hero is not he that strives with the world for witness who seeks the bubble fame at the cannon's brazen lip and risk his life that he may live forever think not that helm and harness are signs of valor true peace hath higher test of manhood than battles ever knew to bear with becoming grace the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune to find our heaven in others happiness and for their sake to sacrifice and suffer wrongs that might be righted with a thread of steel to live an honest life in a land where truth doth feed on crusts while falsehood fattens on lucullan feasts requires more true manhood more moral stamina more unadulterated sand than to follow a flag into the very jaws of hell or die for the faith in the auto de fe heroes why unearn the ashes of the half-forgotten dead and pour o'er the musty pages of the past for names to glorify if you would find heroes grander martyrs more noble and saints of more sanctity than rubens ever painted or immortal homer sang who without achilles armor have slain an hundred hectares without samsonian locks have torn the lion without the sword of michael have thrown down the gauge to all the embattled host of hell seek not the musty tomes of history but in the hearts and homes of the self-sacrificing wives and mothers of this great world god could not be everywhere says the proverb therefore he made mothers let the heroes of history have their due still i imagine the world would have been much the same had alexander died of cholera infantum or grown up a harmless dude i don't think the earth unbalanced would from its orbit fly had caesar been drowned in the rubicon or cleveland never born i imagine that greece would have humbled the persian pride and there had been no thermopylae that rome would have ruled the world had scivola's good right hand not hissed in the tuscan fire it is even possible that civilization would have stood the shocks had lanky bob and gentleman jim met on texas soil that the second boom of our heroic young christian governor would have lost no gas one catfish does not make a creek nor one hero a nation the waves do not make the sea but the sea furnishes forth the waves leonidas were lost to history but for the three hundred nameless braves who backed his bluff had there been but one cromwell charles i would have kept his head in washington's deathless splendor gleams the glory of forgotten millions and the history of bonaparte is written with blood of the unknown brave 
humbuggery, fraud, deception everywhere. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. Momus, the major domo, the millions unmasked, even friendship is becoming a screaming farce intended to promote the social fortune or fill the purse. We fawn that thrift may follow, are prodigal of sweet words because they cost nothing, and swell the sails of many a rich argosy. But weigh every penny we put forth, and carefully calculate the chance of gain or loss. It's head I win, tails you lose, and when we cannot play it on that principle, we promptly jump the game. Who steals my purse steals trash. That's Shakespeare. He that filches from me my good name makes me poor indeed. That's nonsense. Reputation is but the ephemeral dew on character's everlasting gold. But he that steals a human heart and tramples it beneath his brutal heel. He that feigns a friendship he does not feel, he that fawns upon his fellows and hugs them hard and after scandals them, is the foulest fraud in all this land of fakes, the most hideous humbug in all hell's unclean hierarchy. I am sometimes tempted to believe that the only friendship that will stand fire is that of a yellow dog for a pauper negro. Strike a friend for a small loan, and his affection grows suddenly cold. Lose your fortune, and your sweetheart sends you word that she will be a sister to you. Your brother will betray you for boodle, your father fights you for a foolish flag, and your heirs-in-law will dance when they hear of your death. But the devotion of a yaller dog for a worthless nigger hath all seasons for its own. But the humbug for whom I have the least use is the man who assiduously damns the rum demon, makes tearful temperance talks, ostentatiously votes the prohibition ticket, groans like a sick calf hit by a battering ram whenever he sees a young man come out of a barroom, then sneaks up a dirty alley, crawls through the side door of a second-class saloon, calls for the cheapest whiskey in the shop, runs the glass over trying to get the worth of his money, pours it down at a gulp, and scoots in a hurry lest somebody ask him to treat. Who has a chronic toothache in the stomach, which nothing but drugstore whiskey can relieve? Who keeps a jug of dollar-a-gallon bug juice hid under his bed, and sneaks to it like a thieving hyena, digging up a dead nigger, rents his property for saloon purposes, then piously prays to the Lord to protect the young from temptation. But perhaps the prince of humbugs, the incarnation of fraud, the apotheosis of audacity, is the street-corner politician. He towers above his fellow fakes, like Saul above his brethren. I have been time and again instructed in the most intricate problems of public polity, questions that have perplexed the wisest statesmen of the world, by men who had never read a single standard work on political economy, and who could not tell, to save their souls, 
granting that they possess such a perishable property whether adam smith wrote the wealth of nations or the lord's prayer who are not familiar with the constitution of their own state or the face of a receipted wash-bill who could scarce tell a sloop from a ship bill of lading from a slight draught a hydraulic ram from a he-goat unless they were properly labelled yet no question can arise in metaphysics or morals government or generalship upon which these great little men do not presume to speak with the authoritative assurance of a lord chief justice or a six-foot woman addressing a four-foot husband they invariably know it all they could teach solomon and the seven wise men wisdom and had they been on earth when almighty god wrote the ten commandments they would have moved an amendment or drafted a minority report and these are the fellows who frame our political platforms and dominate our election whose boundless cupidity colossal ignorance and supernal gall bring about starvation in a land of plenty divide the most industrious and progressive people that ever graced the footstool of almighty god into bloated billionaires and grovelling mendicants even patriotism has become a humbug has been supplanted by partisanship and now all are for party and none are for the state on july fourth we shout for the old flag and all the rest of the year we clamor for an appropriation the man who is kicked by a nightmare while dreaming of the draft demands a pension and every burning patriot wants an office twice yea thrice within the memory of men now living america has been on the very verge of an industrial revolution a reign of terror yet we continue to hang our second providence on a job-lot of political jack-snipes who carry their patriotism in their pockets and their sense under their surcingles while we who feed three times a day who have a cocktail every morning and a clean shirt occasionally are boasting of our allegiance to the grand old party or prating of the principles of jeffersonian democracy are blindly trailing in the wake of some partisan bandwagon like a brindle calf behind a kansas hay-cart this nation born of our father's blood and sanctified by our mother's tears is dominated by political self-seekers who have taken for their motto after us the deluge once after holding forth at some length on humbugs a physician said to me ah uh, you uh, uh, didn't mention the medical profession no i replied the power of language hath its limits the medical mark you is the noblest of all professions it contains many learned and able men who devote their lives unselfishly to the amelioration of human misery but i much doubt whether one half of the m d s now sending people to the drug stores with cipher dispatches could tell what was the matter with a suffering mortal were he transparent as glass and lit up by electricity there are doctors doping people with powerful drugs who couldn't tell whether a patient had a case of cholera morbus 
or was afflicted with an incurable itch for office who would have acquired their medical information from the almanacs and could not distinguish between a bunion and a stone bruise or find the joints and a string of sausage with a search warrant i have noticed that when the doctors took to writing their prescriptions in latin it quickly became a dead language that when i take the poet's advice and throw physic to the dogs their numbers rapidly decrease but the doctors are jolly good fellows let it be recorded to their eternal credit that whatever may be their faults precious few of them will practice in their own families i have often wished that i was a doctor of medicine instead of a doctor of divinity there are several fellows for whom i like to prescribe there is a strong affinity between the two professions the d d s deal in faith and prayer the m d s in faith and pills i have been frequently asked why in lecturing on humbugs i skip the lawyers there are some subjects to which a lecture must lead up gradually so i discuss the doctors in my discourse on humbugs and save the attorneys for my talk on gall even our boasted educational system is half a humbug too many of our professors fondly imagine that when they have crammed the dry formulas of half a dozen scientists into a small head perhaps designed by the deity to furnish the directive wisdom for a scavenger cart when they have taught a two-legged moon-calf to glibly read in certain dead languages things it can in no wise comprehend patiently pupped into it whole congeries of things that defy its mental digestive apparatus that it is actually educated if not enlightened and perhaps it is after the manner of the trick mule or the pig that plays cards the attempt of gulliver scientists to calcine ice into gunpowder were not more ridiculous than trying to transform a fool into a philosopher by the alchemy of education if it be waste of lather to shave an ass what must it be to educate an idiot true education consists in acquirement of useful information yet i have seen college graduates even men sporting professional sheepskins who couldn't tell whether gladstone's an english statesman or an irish policeman they knew all about greek roots but couldn't tell a carrot from a parsnip they could decipher a cuneiform inscription perhaps and state whether a pebble belonged to the paleozoic or some other period but couldn't tell a subpoena from a search warrant, a box of vermicelli from a bundle of fishworms. We pore over books too much and reflect too little, depend too much on others, too little upon ourselves. Make of our heads cold storage warehouses for other people's ideas instead of standing up in our own independent godlike individuality bacon says that reading makes a full man perhaps so but it makes a great deal of difference what a fellow's full of too many who fondly imagine themselves educated much resemble mark twain's frog 
with a stomach full of shot. They are crushed to earth by the things they have swallowed. Neither the public nor any other school system has ever produced one really great man. Those who occupy the dais throne among the immortals contended single-handedly with the darkness of ignorance and the devil of dogmatism. Columbus scorned the schools and discovered a world. Napoleon revolutionized the science of war and himself master of Europe. Bismarck mocked at precedent, and united Germany stood forth a giant. Jesus of Nazareth ignored the learning of the Levites, and around the world arose the fanes of a new faith. A reading is the nurse of culture, reflection the mother of genius. Our great religions were born in the desert. Our grandest philosophers budded and burgeoned in the wilderness. The noblest poesy that ever swept the human harpsichord was born in the brains of a beggar, come bubbling from the heart of the blind, and when all the magi of the Medes and all the great philosophers of Greece had failed to furnish forth a jurisprudence just to all, semi-barbarous Rome laid down those laws by which even from the grave of her glory she still rules the majestic world. I have been accused of being the enemy of education, but then I have been accused of almost everything. So one count, more or less, in the indictment doesn't matter. I am not opposed to education that is useful, but why should we pay people to fill the empty heads of fools with soap and sawdust? I've also said, perhaps the most aggressive fraud that infects the earth is the professional atheist, the man whose chief mental stock in trade consists of doubt and denial of revealed religion, so-called. About the time a youngster first feels an irresistible impulse to make a fool of himself wherever a female smiles on him, when he's reached that critical stage in life's journey when he imagined that he knows much more than his father, he began to doubt the religion of his mother. Shrewdly asks his Sunday school teacher, who made God? Demonstrates by the age of natural history diagrams that a large whale could in no wise swallow a small prophet, that if he did succeed in relegating him to its internal economy, it were impossible for him to slosh around for three days and nights in the gastric juices without becoming much the worse for wear. He attempts to rip religion up by the roots and reform the world while you wait, but soon learns that he's got a government contract on his hands, that the man who can drive the deity out of the hearts and homes of this land can make a fortune turning artesian wells inside out, and peddling them for telegraph poles. You can't do it, son. Religion is the backbone of the body social. Sometimes it's unbending as a boarding-house biscuit, and sometimes it's a bad quality of gutta-percha, but we couldn't get far without it. Most youths have to pass through a period of doubt and denial, catch the infidel humor just as they do the measles and the mumps, but they eventually learn that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
there was never an atheistical book written there was never an infidel argument pinned that touched the core of any religion christian or pagan bibles korans zandervestas all sacred books are but the feeble efforts of finite man to interpret the infinite to speak forth the unspeakable to reduce to intelligible human characters the flame-ridden hieroglyphs of the sky who made god suppose mr atheist that i find thee an answer who will furnish thee with an intellect to understand it how will you comprehend the genesis of a god when the wisest man for whom christ died cannot tell why water runs downhill instead of up cannot understand the basic principle of the law of gravitation cannot even guess why governor culberson encouraged the managers of corbett and fitzsimmons to bring the mill to texas then knocked it out at a special session of the legislature at the expense of the general public an atheist once solemnly assured me that he couldn't possibly believe anything which he couldn't prove but when i asked him what led him to make such a lively interest in the welfare of his wife's children he became almost as angry as a calvinist whose confession of faith had been called into question figure up how many things you can prove of those you believe and you will find you have got to do a credit business or go into intellectual bankruptcy but the man who denies the existence of the deity because he cannot comprehend his origin is even less a humbug than the one who knows all about him the pitiful dogmatizer who devotes his life to the defense of some poor little guesswork interpretation of the mysterious plants of him who brings forth Mazaroth in his season and guides arcturus with his sons dogmatism is the fecund mother of doubt a manacle on the human mind a brake on the golden wheel of christian progress and every dogmatizer whether in science politics or religion is consciously or unconsciously a humbug you know do you you know what and who told you why the man in whose mighty intellect was stored the world's wisdom whose words have come down to us from the distant past as oracles o'ershadowing even solomon and shakespeare wasn't quite sure of his own existence men frequently tell me that what they see they know well they've got to drink mighty little prohibition whiskey if they do otherwise they're liable to see things they'll need an introduction to the wisest is he who knows only that he knows nothing omniscient god only knows we you and i are only troubled with morbid little ideas sired by circumstance and damned by folly we don't even know how the democracy stands on the sober question or what caused the slump in the late election end of section thirty three